0: Hey everyone, I am excited to announce that Esther, Something Hidden, Something Revealed, is now available on Amazon as a side study, Volume H, in the Gospel Feast series. The Book of Esther is a mysterious one. As written, it is a book with many contradictions. The name Esther means something hidden. It does contain several historical conundrums and a handful of mysteries. It is the only book in the Bible that never mentions God at all. Why? Many Jews today say that it is just fiction, because they can't find any of the characters mentioned within historically. And yet, they celebrate the book with a major festival annually. It is also one of the books that is required reading in the weeks before Passover, every year. Not by God, but by Esther herself. Why do this if you insist the book is just fiction? It is one of the only books that Joseph Smith made no corrections to, although he considered it to be historical. How is any of this possible? Esther reads as an eyewitness account, but then struggles with the simple, logical issues and frequently contradicts itself in some very strange ways. How come? Considering that Esther became the most powerful queen of the world's largest empire, none of this makes any sense. Or does it? Despite the wonderful story, we are left with the puzzling questions Who was King Ahasuerus? Who was Mordecai? Who was Haman? And actually, who was Esther? The answers may just surprise you. The book is not fiction. And in fact, all of the puzzling contradictions were put in place for a very devious reason, and not by Esther. Join us on this astounding historical reconstruction and be amazed at what Esther really tried to do. And how, had she been able to accomplish what she had tried, your life would be very different right now. You think you know the book of Esther? Are you sure? Let's feast on the Word of God together and see what a woman of God can do When she really puts her mind to it, it also might make an incredible Mother's Day gift for the ladies in your life. Happy Mother's Day.
1: Welcome back to the Gospel Feast Podcast. We're continuing our studies, Season 5, in the Book of Ezekiel. We studied together in the book of Zechariah how foreknowledge can be a burden. So much of the weeping of Jeremiah was over the fact that he was forced to prophesy events that would come to pass because the people would not repent. The Lord required him to try anyway. It was a hopeless task. Ezekiel saw the same burden. It is exciting to contrast these with the words of our modern prophets, who have said even quite recently that, In our dispensation, if we will just hang on, exciting and better days are ahead.
0: We studied together in the book of Zechariah how foreknowledge can be a burden. So much of the weeping of Jeremiah was over the fact that he was forced to prophesy events that would come to pass because the people would not repent. The Lord required him to try anyway. It was a hopeless task. The Lord made Ezekiel strong within because he had the terrible mission of trying to convince a rebellious generation to repent. The Lord is so fair that he will attempt the hopeless anyway. Thus, there is no excuse on the day of judgment. It can be terribly hard preaching to family and friends who will not repent and embrace the gospel. Theirs is the burden of sin. Yours is the burden of knowing what will happen nonetheless. This is why typically the Lord will end a vision with a positive outcome, which he will effect himself in time. Follow the logic in these verses.
1: Ezekiel six one, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of Adam, set thy face toward the mountains of Israel, and prophesy against them. And say, Ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord God to the mountains and to the hills, to the rivers, and to the valleys. Behold, I, even I, will bring a sword upon you, and I will destroy your high places. And your altars shall be desolate, and your images shall be broken, and I will cast down your slain men before your idols. And I will lay the dead carcasses of the children of Israel before their idols, and I will scatter your bones round about your altars.
0: Israel had long had the habit of building altars to pagan gods in the mountains, particularly in groves of trees. Again, this is parasitical. Here, the mountains parasited the temple, and the trees were trimmed into phalli. These cults went all the way back to Egypt, where the earth was seen as male and the sky was seen as female. This illustrates another satanic methodology— that of mockery and reversals. In celestial thinking, the earth is a nest, a female force, while the sky that protects it is masculine. In other words, the male priesthood protects the home where the family is transformed and nurtured. Ezekiel six, 6.
1: In all your dwelling places the cities shall be laid waste, and the high places shall be desolate, that your altars may be laid waste and made desolate, and your idols may be broken and cease, and your images may be cut down, and your works may be abolished. And the slain shall fall in the midst of you, and ye shall know that I am the Lord.
0: This will be a recurring message in Ezekiel. Israel was to be the means of announcing the Lord's goodness to the world all the world would know the Lord from them. If they could not be the shining example of righteousness on the hill, then they would be proof of the Lord's power and dominion in the punishments they bore for their wickedness. They would also stand as proof that Jehovah, and no one else, was ultimately sovereign. Much of the sadness one senses in Judaism today comes from the knowledge that they know their ancestors were unable or unwilling to keep their covenants. The joy they take comes from the faith that God is not done with Israel, but in the latter days will redeem them. Of the secular world of the 1800s, only Joseph Smith stood firm in the teaching that Judah was still special and important. The return of Judah to Israel is just one of hundreds of prophecies given by Joseph Smith that should stand as a warning to the world that prophets and apostles again walk the earth.
1: Ezekiel 6.8 Yet will I leave a remnant, that ye may have some that shall escape the sword among the nations, when ye shall be scattered through the countries. And they that escape of you shall remember me among the nations whither they shall be carried captives, because I am broken with their whorish heart, which hath departed from me, and with their eyes, which go a-whoring after their idols. And they shall loathe themselves for the
0: evils which they have committed in all their abominations. This precisely came to pass. The black bands that many Jews wear on their white prayer shawls today are marks of mourning. Jews who understand their religion know that it is not possible to fully rejoice until the temple is returned to them. Despite the many tragedies they have borne as a people, they realize that God has indeed left them a remnant. Some have always escaped. Even the atrocities of Hitler's democratic socialism were not able to utterly destroy their culture and spirit. Back in the land of Israel, many are returning to the knowledge that Jehovah is the Lord.
1: Ezekiel 6.10 And they shall know that I am the Lord, and that I have not said in vain that I would do this evil unto them. Thus saith the Lord God, Smite with thine hand, and stamp with thy foot, and say, Alas, for all the evil abominations of the house of Israel! For they shall fall by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. He that is far off shall die of the pestilence, and he that is near shall fall by the sword, and he that remaineth and is besieged shall die by the famine. Thus will I accomplish my fury upon them. Then shall ye know that I am the Lord, when their slain men shall be among their idols round about their altars, upon every high hill, in all the tops of the mountains, and under every green tree, and under every thick oak, the place where they did offer sweet savor to all their
0: idols. Ezekiel is soon going to witness Israel's precise level of corruption. He will see that it reaches even into the Lord's holiest places. Ultimately, The Lord is going to cleanse the entire land of Israel, right up to the pagan altars on the mountaintops. It is almost as if the Lord is saying, Since my people have fallen so far that they are willing to corrupt even my holy temple, I am coming myself to clean my own house. That cleaning will be so thorough that he will even cleanse the mountain places which he might have ignored as long as Israel protected the sanctity of his temple. This should stand as a warning to us today in regards to how Satan works. It is one thing to go up into the mountains and have a pagan festival, but as soon as one gives over to Satan, it will never be enough until the festival is held in the very Holy of Holies. Satan does this for two reasons. The first is simply to mock God. The second is to force God to destroy his own children. The Luciferian cults which exist today don't realize their peril. Despite everything they are being told, they are being set up for destruction by the very demon they call the Enlightened One. Alma warned them from the dust. In the end, Lucifer will not support his children
1: ezekiel six fourteen so will i stretch out my hand upon them and make the land desolate yea more desolate than the wilderness toward dibleth in all their habitations
0: and they shall know that i am the lord the lord has told us that the work of the gods is as one eternal round no literary model better embraces this concept than chiasmus At its most simple, it is a device where a literary figure is expressed to a midpoint, where it is then repeated in reverse order. It is marked as a pattern thusly, A1, B1, C1, C2, B2, A2. Putting the ends together, A to A, makes one eternal round. The entire book of Ezekiel is made up of 49 Hebraic poems. 35 of these are chiastic. We will explore just a few, leaving a complete analysis for Appendix C of our Ezekiel study in print. Let's look at chapter 7 of Ezekiel with the chiasmic structure labeled
1: Ezekiel 7 1 A1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Also, thou son of Adam, thus saith the Lord God unto the land of Israel, An end, the end is come upon the four corners of the land. Now is the end come upon thee, and I will send mine anger upon thee, and will judge thee according to thy ways, and will recompense upon thee all thine abominations. And mine eye shall not spare thee, neither will I have pity, but I will recompense thy ways upon thee and thine abominations shall be in the midst of thee, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Be one. Thus saith the Lord God, An evil, an only evil, behold, is come. An end is come, the end is come, it watcheth for thee, behold, it is come. The morning is come unto thee, O thou that dwellest in the land. The time is come, the day of trouble is near, and not the sounding again of the mountains. Now will I shortly pour out my fury upon thee, and accomplish mine anger upon thee, and I will judge thee according to thy ways, and will recompense thee for all thine abominations. And mine eyes shall not spare, neither will I have pity. I will recompense thee according to thy ways, and thine abominations that are in the midst of thee. And ye shall know that I am the Lord that smiteth. C. 1. Behold the day. Behold, it is come. The morning is gone forth. The rod hath blossomed. Pride hath budded. Violence is risen up into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain, nor of their multitude, nor of any of theirs, neither shall there be wailing for them. C. 2. The time is come. The day draweth near. Let not the buyer rejoice, nor the seller mourn for wrath is upon all the multitude thereof. For the seller shall not return to that which is sold, although they were yet alive. For the vision is touching the whole multitude thereof, which shall not return. Neither shall any strengthen himself in the iniquity of his life. B. 2. They have blown the trumpet, even to make all ready, but none goeth to the battle, for my wrath is upon all the multitude thereof. The sword is without, and the pestilence, and the famine within. He that is in the field shall die with the sword, and he that is in the city, famine and pestilence shall devour him. But they that escape of them shall escape, and shall be on the mountains like doves of the valleys, all of them mourning, every one for his iniquity. All hands shall be feeble, and all knees shall be weak as water. They shall also gird themselves with sackcloth, and horror shall cover them, and shame shall be upon all faces, and baldness upon all their heads. They shall cast their silver in the streets, and their gold shall be removed. Their silver and their gold shall not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They shall not satisfy their souls, neither fill their bowels, because it is the stumbling-block of their iniquity. As for the beauty of his ornament, he set it in majesty, But they made the images of their abominations, and of their detestable things therein. Therefore have I set it far from them. And I will give it into the hands of the strangers for a prey, and to the wicked of the earth for spoil, and they shall pollute it. My face will I turn also from them, that they shall pollute my secret place. For the robbers shall enter into it, and defile it. A. 2. Make a chain. For the land is full of bloody crimes, and the city is full of violence. Wherefore I will bring the worst of the heathen, and they shall possess their houses. I will also make the pomp of the strong to cease, and their holy places shall be defiled. Destruction cometh, and they shall seek peace, and there shall be none. Mischief shall come upon mischief, and rumor shall be upon rumor. Then shall they seek a vision of the prophet, but the law shall perish from the priest, and counsel from the ancients. The king shall mourn, and the prince shall be clothed with desolation, and the hands of the people of the land shall be troubled. I will do unto them after their way, and according to their deserts will I judge them, and they shall know that I am
0: the Lord. Cool, huh? Simplifying the pattern, we have a circular truth. A1 All will know Jehovah is the
1: Lord. B1. The Lord will have his revenge on evil. C1. The day of the Lord's wrath is coming.
0: Now, while the Lord's ways are one eternal round, his knowledge is as one great now. With each turn of the Lord's way, increase is gained. This is the closest clue we have to understanding what time might mean to a timeless God. As God makes his great eternal round, He expects to find increase and improvement when he comes back round again. Many of the parables of the Lord and the poetry of the prophets teach this concept. Men are to prepare and improve themselves before the master comes back around to check on his servants. Men are expected to seek the Lord when he comes. The very essence of his second coming, like a royal visitation, is to be ready to receive the king when he makes his rounds. Chiasmic poetry illustrates this when its returning CBA structure is increased in both meaning and understanding. Let's work our way out.
1: C2. The day of wrath will be against the rich. B2. The revenge will be total and devastating. A2. Then all will know that Jehovah is the Lord.
0: The grand point here is that all will know that Jehovah is Lord. This will happen when he takes his vengeance on the elites of Judah. As we move toward the center of the pattern, the seas, we have Hebraic allusions, like the mystical use of the number four in the second verse. Four is the number of this earth in its fallen, temporal state. The idea is that to the Lord, The earth is, symbolically, a square. It has set boundaries where he can view the beginning through the end. It is from this concept that some have preached that the earth was flat. Surprisingly, there is a small but growing movement of people today claiming that the earth is really flat. It's not. They confuse the fact that the planet is mathematically flat, but it is in reality a globe. In verses 3 and 4, we are reminded that our God is a God of great mercy. He sees our weakness as teaching moments, like a loving parent watching a foolish child. He knows that while punishment is necessary, too harsh a punishment will not accomplish the needed correction. It is useful to understand that the Lord is so frustrated with Judah at this point that even his kind nature will not lessen the punishment this time. Mercy cannot rob justice. In verses 5 and 6, we get the Hebrewism of repetition. In the Hebrew language, a word is magnified through repetition. In English, we have intensifying words, such as very, really, and sometimes pretty, to make something bigger. Thus, the Lord is very angry, and his punishment is really going to get pretty bad. The Hebrew says, an evil evil is come. And the end is come, the end is come. How bad is it going to get? Really pretty very bad. Note verse 19. This is a peek into what Nebuchadnezzar's siege would be like inside the city. We would do well to hear it. In the day of deep peril, note that money has no value. You can't eat gold and silver. If a community is starving, you can't even buy food with your wealth. Wealth means nothing. Note verse 22. All the precious things that men hold dear will only be good as trophies for the looters stealing them. How many times have we seen this in modern times? Even the treasures of Solomon's temple were taken. Once the Lord, who is clean and pure, has seen his treasures of worship defiled, he no longer wants them. In fact, He didn't even want the temple anymore. The ultimate lesson is that as nice as we try to make temples and holy adornments for the Lord, ultimately what he wants is a holy people. The holy adornments then become a mark of where our treasure is located. Our treasure is in heaven and is in our God. Therefore, our gold and silver is joyfully given to his house as proof of this. Our honest tithes and offerings function the same way. The meat in our Lord's house is proof beyond words that He is our treasure, and He is our reward. And what a treasure He is! To have personal claim and companionship with Jehovah God? Just think of it! Note verse 27. Historically, one can't help but see parallels to the city of Nauvoo. Once the saints were driven out, it was the lowest of the river rats of the Mississippi Valley that took over the city. Beautiful homes, a handful of which still stand, were filled with riffraff, the worst of the heathen, to quote the Lord. It was not many years, and the city beautiful was a dirty river town. Israel saw Jerusalem fall from a capital city to a dunghill, and the Jews in exile knew it was a sign. Jehovah is the Lord. There are several kinds of poetic structures in Hebrew, but the chiasmus is considered the highest form. If Ezekiel had written in English, we might say that the book is a series of Shakespearean sonnets. Only Isaiah is more literary than Ezekiel. Thank you, Reed.
1: And with that, we are out of time. The day of the Lord's wrath is coming, and we are determined to watch for the signs and to know them. Then we will not fear, because we will see that these signs are proof that our Lord foreknew it all before it even happened. This, of course, means that we can trust in the outcome. It will be as Ezekiel taught. Soon, all will know that Jesus Christ is Lord.